what comes to mind when you hear the word healing definitely one of my most favorite words on the planet its roots coming from a german culture meaning to make whole i am in conversation today with one of my most favorite humans on earth her name is dr tema bryant who is the 2023 president of the american psychological association apa the leading scientific and professional organization in psychology and has members more than 120,000 for those who don't know dr tema is also a spoken word artist and an ordained church minister she uses cultural wisdoms in her work as well I hope you enjoy this one Hi Hello hello so good to be with you <laughs> It's been a long time coming A long time I'm so glad <laughs> we could connect Yeah um I'm so happy to finally like really meet you as far away as you are from where I am but I just want to say that you've been a massive inspiration to me and so many other young people um here in Kenya and the rest of Africa really and so so many of us have been looking forward to just having this short time with you just just talk with somebody from the motherland and you know get to know each other as well so thank you so much for honoring my request absolutely thank you for the invitation and i'm so grateful for the work that you do for survivors and for mental health in general uh the ways in which you use education and poetry it is so important so valuable and especially your work centering men uh because i think often men's mental health is overlooked and so i'm grateful yeah i'm just going to be honest that um i've been struggling with how to pronounce your first name so yes. because i'm african i'm kenyan we speak yes. swahili here when i see your name the first thing that comes to me is sema But then I'm watching your videos and I'm hearing people say Tema and it's Tema and I'm like okay I'm just going to ask her yes, the day yes. I get to meet her so please help us. <laughs> yes, the A is silent so it's Tema like Tema lion. Okay. Tema it is. So okay. nice to meet you Tema, Tema Brian. Wonderful to meet yeah. you. Yeah. So for those who um are just getting to join us um today I have Dr. Tema here with us and uh, she's a renowned psychologist and author and a minister and we're just going to get into the nitty gritties of all that meshed up into one many people actually don't know that you're also a spoken word artist which I'm also very excited to talk about um cuz I'm I'm just the first time you told me that I was just blown away because we don't see that on Twitter so I mean <laughs> you you get to tell us a bit about that today um but one of the things that I've really been curious to know from you is um where did it all start you know um so many of us we 
I mean, we are massive, massive fans of you on Twitter. Like nearly every day, we are just there retweeting and liking and just, you know, listening to your podcast. And now that your book is out, which we'll also talk about um, in a few, um, one day you didn't know what psychology was. So how how did it all come together for you? What was it like? What's the journey? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the question. So growing up, I grew up as a pastor's daughter. And so, and then in our community, many people go to their minister for counseling. And so people were often calling our home or making appointments at the church to meet with my father. And then my mother led the women's ministry and did uh, women's retreats. And so a lot of that was focused on holistic health, you know, not only spiritually, but physically and mentally. And so that really uh, gave me a heart for wanting to bear witness uh, and to be present with people as they are working through their various life challenges. Um, although I'm African-American, I lived in Liberia, West Africa uh, as an adolescent, which was an incredible experience the first year. I actually became Miss High School Liberia. And then the second year, unfortunately, <laughs> the Civil War broke out. And so Ooh. we were uh, evacuated. And so dealing with the aftermath uh, and the impact um, of war and devastation where you, you know, are uh, having love and community one day and then in the next season, things really being turned upside down. Uh, and so and then growing up primarily in the States, in Baltimore, Maryland, which is a beautiful place, but also has a lot of community violence. Um, and so really being intentional of wanting to hold space with compassion uh, for us to heal. And that uh, really has been a, a, a snapshot of my journey of going yeah. into the field. Yeah. All right. So I, if you could just take us to that moment when you, you said you're going to get into psychology. Do you remember that moment? Could we zoom into that moment? Because I'm really curious as well. Yes, yes. So uh, as soon as I heard about the field, well, I'll take you to the history before that. When I was uh, younger, like in uh, preschool, we would call nursery school before you was mm -hmm. like four or five years old. Uh, when I was asked what I wanted to be when I grow up, I said, I wanted to be a house for the homeless. And the adults yeah. laughed and they said, you can't be a house. You have to pick something else. And mm. I think symbolically, poetically, prophetically, that I knew what I was talking about, right? <laughs> that I was going to grow up to be a space that could hold people. And uh, after I found out I could not be a house, um, I wanted to be a nurse until I saw a really terrible car accident. And when I saw all that blood on the side of the road, I knew nursing was not for me. <laughs> so, okay. Instead of the physical wounds, I'm going to focus on uh, the emotional wounds. And so I went to Duke University in North Carolina and uh, declared my major as psychology and my best friend. Um, who I met in college and is now the, the godmother to my daughter. Uh, we both came into college. When we started, we both already knew we wanted to be psychologists. And so then it just continued to be a journey of learning more about that field and then having to apply to get the master's and the doctorate degree. And so having mentors along the way uh, who encouraged me. And it's one of those things that when you're doing 
what you are called to do, what you're born to do, uh, you feel that you're in the right position, right? You feel the flow mm -hmm. of that. And so uh, when I'm working with clients, uh, that work has been really beautifully blessed. And then I'm also a psychology professor. And I was joking with another professor earlier this week about how we both know we were meant to teach because our courses are three hours long and we always get to the end of the three hours and feel like we didn't have enough time, right? So for <laughs> some so people, true. right, it would, would feel like death to them to talk about something for so long, but I'm always needing more time, right? So Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I... Totally. I, I totally relate to that as well, because uh, my own parents were teachers as well. And um, even though like we had like a very difficult relationship with my dad, um, my mom taught like kindergarten kids. And so at some point she began her own school and I was helping out with cutting out all these things they stick on the walls. Um, and, and my dad was also quite a charismatic storyteller. And I just loved how like students would always suckle him and just want to listen to talk to him, to hear him say things and stories and all that. And I guess I, I just picked that up over time and sort of just meshed their personalities to become who I am. So, you know, from your background, and I could totally get why you definitely wanted to be a house for the homeless. You you were a poet from such a young age, from the look of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the conversation of homecoming, you know, um, you know, your book is out, um, and you know, you actually have other books as well, which you could tell us more about. Um, but this moment again, like you know, because we also know. Uh, about the podcast, which is also titled the same same thing, what does homecoming mean to you? What is it that you're trying to communicate to to us? Yes, it is an invitation to healing. It is an invitation for us to reconnect to the truth of who we are, because stress and trauma they disconnect us. They put us in survival mode. They teach us to erase ourselves, to abandon ourselves, to neglect ourselves. And so to come home is to be able to release the shame and to be free to be who we are at our core. Mm. So that means like, you know, living out in our own like authentic selves and trying to just get back to who we were always meant to be before all these things happened to us. Yes, you know? that's right. That's right. So it's yeah. recognizing, you know, when you're disconnected, your insecurity is guiding you, your fears are guiding you, your shame is guiding you. It can yeah. lead you to make all kinds of decisions that are not really good for you, but just because you're either trying to get other people's approval or acceptance, or you're trying to yeah. make sure that you're safe or trying to fly under the radar to not yeah. draw too much attention to yourself. And so those things can cause us to settle, you know, in every area of our lives to release our dreams and believe that we're not worthy of that. And so as yeah. I come home to myself, I release the disguise, the performance of trying to follow all the shoulds of who other people tell me I'm supposed to be. And I start to tell myself the truth and then live from that truth. Right. Did you, did you have moments in your life when um, you had this internal conflicts, like, you know, like right now you, 
you know what you know right now and you know you're talking about it authentically i remember um in one of the talks you were given uh you said something akin to like when you show up masked you expect us to stay masked you know um yeah. so that's the image of identity um what kind of conflicts did you have and how how did you learn to overcome them before you ever knew about this world of psychology that you're in now yeah so important that what i'm writing about is not just based on what i have studied but what i have lived and as i say in the book i've had multiple homecomings so there are multiple experiences that can disconnect us so one that i'll talk about which connects with your experience um is being a sexual assault survivor and so mm-hmm. sexual assault definitely can disconnect you from yourself it can cause you to yeah. shut down it can change our ideas of who we are and uh when i was sexually assaulted i was on a break from college and um when i returned to school for the first time in my life i really struggled uh because school had always come easy for me i like to learn i like to read i like to write and so you know in the aftermath of trauma it's hard to focus it's hard to concentrate uh your confidence has really been broken you get really distracted um it's difficult mm-hmm. to sleep and so all of those things um uh, made it hard for me to show up as myself and um so you know that healing process for me there were multiple pathways that helped me to get back home to myself so i did go to therapy on that uh college campus and that was really helpful uh and then also i danced and i know you love to dance too i saw one of your videos <laughs> yeah <laughs> all the time <laughs> it helps us to like reclaim yeah. our bodies and to get that joy yeah. back and so yeah. uh dancing was was really uh, an important part um of my healing writing you know either journal writing or poetry writing was helpful for me um my spiritual practices and my faith because you know in in order to heal you have to believe that something is possible beyond where you are right now right mm. and as we say mm. even if it's just a mustard seed just like a little bit of me believes that like this cannot be the rest of my life right yeah this is yeah. a happy moment but i just cannot believe this is how it has to be for me forever and yes. so you know and then of course uh community having good friends um uh supportive family members uh that can be all a part of our, our healing process too and this is why i think similar to you uh it's important that i share my story because sometimes once people heal they keep it a secret and so then when yeah. people see your success they assume your life must have just been easy and people often say that to me they say oh that big smile you have right and things just must have been so easy and it's like oh i'm glad you think so right <laughs> the, the smile does not tell the whole story and, yeah uh, so it's important that we share it because it shatters the shame it shatters the silence when we tell our stories and other people can say like me too and it also gives people an example of what life can look like on the other side of that that you can mm-hmm. reclaim yourself that you can have joy that you can have uh peace in your mind that you you know you you can and it's a ongoing journey of healing right it's not just like a final end point but restoration is really possible and that's the gift of testimony 
Right. Cool. And I mean, I, I mean, on my end, um, thank you. Thank you first for sharing that, that part of you. I really hold it with so much sacredness. Um, myself, it took me a, a whole decade to realize that I had actually been sexually assaulted. I didn't know there was such a thing because I was really young. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of sex education as well. So, and then as, as well, being a man, um, and a young boy, like, there's just so many nuances and um, like confusion around how is sex supposed to be? Um, is what, what, what is consent? All, all those kind of situations. But there's something also really important you've said, um, like the way dancing was influential, influential to you. Um, I remember like when I was like a five, six year old, um, my dad used to have this little Sanyo radio. Sanyo is like those old, old um, electronic um, brands. So, I mean, and then I grew up with so much African music here. So he'd put me like on the living room table and tell me to dance for him. And so I literally grew up dancing on tables up to around 11, <laughs> 12, 13 when we, we finally broke a table and it was, I know, time to hang the books. <laughs> but I also realized that um, because I was such an active uh, football player, like you call it soccer there, um, I was an active soccer player. Um, but then I realized when I stopped the dancing, when I stopped playing football, um, I was much overcome by stress. You know, mm. and yeah, like when I when I was very active, my body was very active and I used to like dance a lot and play a lot. I mean, so much chaos was happening at home, but it wasn't affecting me too much. But then I'm getting into my 20s and, you know, now like you're becoming an adult and, you know, I wanted to be a footballer. That's gone because your father wants you to be this or that. Um, and I only had the writing, which was helpful, but writing wasn't like it wasn't somatic, I wasn't moving, you know. Um, and so I'm also kind of curious, like, um, for you, um, was dance always part of your life like that? Was, um, you know, music always part of your life like that? Even for you to later realize that this is an important component of the healing journey. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I love you, you sharing that, and I love that your dad gave you that gift, right, early of dance. And similar for me, it was my mom. She always uh, wanted to dance. And so very early, she got uh, my brother and I into dance. And um, I've done all different dance forms, modern, ballet, African, jazz, tap, um, and, uh, and liturgical dance, praise dance. And mm. it is such a gift to be able to, I just believe with trauma, there are some things and even as a poet, there are some parts of the experience that there are not words for, right? For sure. You know, it's like I, I can come up with all kinds of metaphors, but it still doesn't fully like capture it. And so some of it can really only be communicated in movement. And so uh, to be able to uh, uh, sweat our prayers, dance our prayers, to dance our stories, to have warfare dance, to, uh, you know, have healing dance. It it is really, really been an integral part of my life and a gift that I try to now give back here in Los Angeles. I teach um, a group of teenage girls dance, and so I love giving that to them. You know, giving them words of affirmation, but also teaching them 
to be at home within their bodies. And that mm. that is an important gift. Right. Well, coming from Africa, coming from Kenya, um, I mean, most of us definitely grew up with lots and lots of music around us. Um, and even like, you know, um, even in religious aspects as well, like mm -hmm. there's a lot of energy that comes from, you know, like the, the, the praise and worship and yeah. people really just sending their spirits out there in, in right. communion and just coming together and just singing their hearts out, you know, um, and a lot of that experience, your body never really forgets it. So every right. time you're around the church setting, mm -hmm. you're always reminded of those sensations, they come back and, you know, you feel good again. Um, right. But now, yeah, if one of the yeah. gifts in African worship is everybody dancing in the U.S. often yeah. the kids, right? They let the kids yeah. get up and like dance around. But, you know, to see uh, in an African context, men dancing, right? Elvis yeah. dancing, everybody. It is really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, you know, part of the things that I think I, I never like when when I think of even where to live on this earth, like I never ever think of wanting to leave this place because of the richness of the culture. Yeah. Like there are certain things you really never want to lose. Um, but then on the other side, even of the, the ministry, even as we maybe transition into that side of your life, um, here as a continent, um, we have witnessed a lot of traumatic experiences yeah. going back into history, um, which connects me to you in one way or another, because, you know, your people came from here as well. Yes. Um, but, you know, many of our countries got independence uh, just about 50 or 60 years ago, which is like literally the other day, if we are to look at the, the, the longevity of colonialism and, you know, the, the legacy of slavery. Um, so we are still held deeply by the trauma and we don't understand it to that level that it this this is trauma yeah. um but then now um a lot of us take it to church you know mm -hmm. um if i'm if i'm to speak of of kenya we are around 82 percent uh christian mm -hmm. um and then the other other big chunk is muslim and then the rest take up like the few other percentages um many of our issues like we'd take them to the ministers we take them to the pastors um and then i think i as a child as well like growing up uh you know of course like going through so many of these traumas my depression started um manifesting when i was 15 16 years old we didn't even know there was a, a name for that thing you know um but then my, my parents didn't have the consciousness that this could just be depression. It needs some kind of, um, you know, uh, therapy or counseling or, you know, and a spiritual nourishment that enables you to open your body and your heart, you know. Um, so I, I was taken through a lot of traumatic prayers, you know, like in the church. Um, and it's something that, 
continues to harm so many young people yeah. you know because still like you and I we are extremely privileged that we do have this information that this is trauma that has been stored in the body this is the best way to look at it you know and i think one of the things that really inspired me about you was when i learned that you're a minister and that actually the church is called African Methodist Episcopal Church I was like oh my god <laughs> you know what are the odds you see um and just seeing the kind of messages about trauma healing that you stand on the pulpit to preach about to to your congregations you know and the people listening to you and it's something that i i wish we had more of especially just in the church as an institution because there's so many people who come there for that nourishment but the thing they are getting doesn't really get to the core of what's ailing them yes thank you so much for naming that so we have a, a shared uh, trauma history of colonization and enslavement and so we carry ancestral wounds intergenerational trauma it gets transmitted right. and as you said often people don't even recognize that that's what they're carrying that the wounds you hold are not just the wounds from your lifetime but the wounds of those who raised you and those who raised them who never had the luxury or the space for healing and as you have named sometimes in church contexts people are operating out of an ignorance around mental health and so they will discourage people from going to therapy and say all we have to do is pray for you and people are dealing with post traumatic stress disorder they're dealing with bipolar disorder they're dealing with addiction and so yes prayer is important and it's important to encourage people to get the supports uh so that they can uh really experience clarity and understanding about their condition and sometimes out of ignorance people have said and done some very harmful things that is re-traumatizing so as you named it's important even for faith communities to be trauma informed and to understand mental health mm. powerful powerful cuz i think that's that's something i really want to preach like it's important for you know the faithful the faithful um like the faith institutions to just be trauma informed as well and to right. be honest even about um how these very texts some of some of which like we really do believe in um could also re-traumatize our our current cultures because they're also written in a different context in different time um and and that's the work of being trauma informed just uh, just noticing that this is what this meant and this is what it means to our time today right. and this is how we can navigate this information you know yeah yeah right um I know I don't have so much time with you so I I really tried to condense uh what I wanted to talk to you about um <laughs> but, but I'm going to I'm going to say what you were saying about the scriptures is important yes. for us to be able to read them from and and look at it not only spiritually but psychologically so the example I often mm. give is there's a, a person in the Bible Tamar who was sexually assaulted by her brother and then a different brother came kind of to her defense and told her you know you can come and live with me but don't ever speak about this again and then we never read anything more about Tamar right so we don't want to use that as an example of like oh right. so the right thing to do is just tell people don't talk about it you know so yeah. once yeah. you know what must it have felt like for Tamar 
to be silenced. And how many of us have been silenced? And is not the holy thing, the sacred thing, to have real sanctuary where people can talk, where they can speak about mm. their stories, even mm. if those who were the offenders are a part of your family. Uh, so right. I, I love you saying that uh, for us to really look again at the scriptures and the stories and to think about what that experience must be like for the person instead of just duplicating what happened. Exactly. And I think it's a very powerful piece in helping us analyze um, the unspoken spaces or unspoken ways that, you know, I mean, because a lot of the scriptures, there's so many other things that were never mentioned about what life really is like, <laughs> you know, uh, because you can't imagine even for like for Tamer, for example, like living with that silence. What did that do to a person? You know, how did that influence their generations after that? You know, like it's a it's a big deal. So thank you for mentioning that as well. Um I'm going to transition into um, something that a lot of young people are really struggling with. Um, and this is on a global level. We're living in a world where um, many of our parents, the homes we come from, like were really chaotic. Um, we didn't learn how to relate in safe environments, safe spaces. So a lot of like our nervous systems are very dysregulated, um, but we still yearn for love. We still yearn for connection. We love for relationships. We are getting on Tinder, we're getting on Bumble and all these dating apps because we want to meet the one. And you know, we are there taking all the nice pictures because we want our best size to be seen and nice little bios and you know, so that we could be swiped and somebody could pick us and we could have a conversation. Um, but if I still look at the state of the world, we really are struggling with relationships. You know, um, we're struggling to be authentic. We, we, we live in so much shame um, to really communicate our authentic selves. Um, you know, um, and yet there is still like a deeper longing, very deep-seated in there to want to be seen. But we're like... Should I come out? Should I not? So I'm just going to wear this mask, you know, and hope that it takes me for the long haul while I still look to, to connect with this person and have them with me for a long time. What would be your advice for, for, for us guys, you know, like uh, who are struggling through these things? Um, yeah. like, like, you know, how to develop healthy relationships? What would you say? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is let's remove the stigma around loneliness, right? Yeah. A lot of times people get shamed for being lonely, right? And, uh, and people assume you must not love yourself if you're lonely, which is not the case. Uh, you can love yourself and still desire connection or a deeper connection than you have. And so yeah. the desire to be known, to be accepted, to be loved is a healthy, yeah. normal desire, right? So first we wanna yeah. name that. And then secondly, it's important as you're naming to be yourself because um, you don't wanna have to keep up a performance, right? It's, people aren't really choosing you if you're pretending to be something in order to be selected, right? So yeah. it is better to be genuine and then people who are kindred spirits, people who are like-minded, people who have similar values or a sensibility then you all will connect. And so um, sometimes we're so afraid of rejection that we are silent, 
that we are erasing ourselves, that we don't say what we really feel or need or think. And so that's a setup for a false connection. If I am being inauthentic, I cannot build anything real with anybody else. And so trust the process. There are people who are like you, right? So I'm artsy. Mm -hmm. There are artsy people who are out there, right? I'm a spiritual person. There are spiritual people who are out there. So instead of like, oh, me hiding my creative side or hiding my faith or hiding what I think about trauma and mental health or women's rights, you know, then that will set me up to be in a relationship that is unfulfilling. And so Mm. to take the risk of authenticity, so then you can actually create something real. Right. I remember you um, joking a while back um, that, uh, you know, you were really open to your husband that you don't know how to make biscuits. And I mean, (laughs) he's going to be fine with that. (laughs) You have other gifts, but yo. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, as as we close up, um, this is now maybe uh, just a, a little reiteration to the conversation around slavery and African Americans. Um, I was in Canada in 2019, and uh, I met a really brilliant young man who was I was the first African they were ever meeting in their life right um he was he was black as well and he kept telling me that one of his dreams really was to come just to visit the motherland and just come here and see what africa is because there's always all these narratives about how this place is like you know um and um i mean we were having conversations with a lot of black activists in canada and they were telling me how there's so many people um there, the U.S., Canada, like living with the identity crisis of the historical gaps that exist in between, fine, I'm African-American, but I've never been to Africa. I don't know, you know, like, yes, my ancestors came from there, but, you know, you get to your great, great grandfather, maybe, if you're lucky, and then total darkness, like, (laughs) there's nothing going on after that, you know, Um, and then, even the ancestors that you know of or the 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 great the four parents that you have ha- they they had the like the, they were in deep the the legacy of of slavery like they really did go through it um through the thick or thin of slavery um and with what we know now is that a, a prolonged and healed trauma could actually affect the dna so you know this thing just kept keeps getting past, uh, you know, down to generations. That's what, you know, we are calling that intergenerational trauma. Do you see Black people or people of African descent um, who are also in other parts of the world, do you see us overcoming this collective trauma, especially because the oppression is still here? Yes. And this will unfortunately be my last answer because I'm at time. Sure. Yes. um, Yes. It is, I want to say that culture is medicine. It is therapeutic and healing to learn the truth of who we are. And so with enslavement, it was illegal to speak our languages. 
It was illegal. Yeah. It was banned to drum because we were communicating plans of escape through the drum. And so we had to meet uh, in secret. And so a lot of things had to be uh, passed down in secret and people were disconnected from their own family lines, children sold away from their parents. And so there are these gaps and are often presented uh, as stereotypes, right? So when I was moving to West Africa, people in the States said things to me like, well, what are you gonna eat? Cause everyone there is starving. Why are you gonna wear clothes? Cause they don't wear clothes. And where you mm. so it was all of these assumptions because it is intentional. It's a part of neo-colonialism to not show real images of Africa, right? To to make people uh, believe a very narrow idea about what is in the continent and all of the countries and cultures and languages represented. And so it is healing to be able to make those connections and to see that some aspects of our culture. Uh, survived, you know, that when we see some of our folks dancing and worshiping and then see the ways in which you see that same piece showing up. Uh, there was a recent documentary about the connections with soul food, African-American food and uh, African food. And so uh, mm -hmm. even in the midst of oppression, colonization, neocolonialism, enslavement and racism, uh, we yet survive and we can heal even more the more we learn about our true identity. And so I thank right. you so much for having me and I appreciate all of you and look forward to connecting in the future. Yeah, I'm gonna have to let you go, um, but I'll look for you again some other day when we'll have more time perhaps. So thank you, thank you so much for making uh -huh. time for us. Um, we'll keep in touch. All right, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, have a good afternoon. Thank you.